This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. Greetings to you, intrepid listener. Does the night find you well? It doesn't really matter in the long run. The night finds everyone in the end. And well or not, you will know when it comes. I'll leave that for you to tide over. In the last decade or so, there's been an interesting variety of horror that has come to storytelling, the found footage genre. These tales center around the discovery of some form of video left behind by the creators involved, and witnessing the terror they experienced through their own perspective. If done well, this creates a level of authenticity to the story, a first-hand look at the gruesome fate of those involved. Of course... We tell our stories with sound only, but it hasn't stopped us before. Sound is, after all, one of the best catalysts for creating a sense of dread. This brings us to the subject of tonight's play. A sort of story in a story, if you will. Via the anonymity of the internet, an unknown man reveals his grievances to the world and shares his own found audio with those who might listen. (sighs) Okay. I'm posting this tonight in the hopes that it will clear up the misunderstandings surrounding the disappearance of Deborah Lindsay Kane. At the risk of my personal ridicule, sticks and stones and all that, none of it will matter after tonight. Consider this my one pathetic attempt at an apology, if nothing else. It's sort of my fault what happened. Even in her heyday, internet blogger Sugarcane was just another web comedian. She was funnier than average and certainly skilled with a pen, but otherwise no more remarkable than the rest. For years, the circumstances surrounding her disappearance were only occasionally mentioned and only in the most obscure threads and on a couple of forums. She would have been forgotten forever if those city workers hadn't found the tape recorder last Monday. Sugarcane's true identity was a boyishly cute redhead named Deborah Lindsay Kane. Her sister, Peyton, described her as a bag full of fists, nails, and opinions, just looking for an excuse to bust open on somebody, nourished by beer and spite since our papa died in 91. Deborah unintentionally began her career as a humor blogger when she let her friends talk her into setting up a MySpace account. She thought blogs were self-absorbed, whiny, and without substance, and thus used her MySpace page to parody the asinine ramblings of her peers. After a while, she graduated to belittling popular culture and occasionally reviewing books, comics, movies, and whatever hate mail she received from her growing reader base. She quickly realized people enjoyed her writing, and by mid-2005, she ditched her MySpace account and set up her own humor site, Sugarcane Junction. Despite Deborah's more than decent writing, The site was mediocre at best. Most net junkies likely never knew she existed, much less that she'd vanished and possibly been murdered. Until the city workers found the tape, but... I'll get to that. 
Sugar Cane Junction never failed to celebrate whatever holidays and festivals came its way, and its seasonal articles were usually the most eagerly anticipated. Deborah composed surprisingly witty drinking songs for her Oktoberfest review, and, and a touching poem for Father's Day that she refused to talk about afterward. For her 2005 Christmas rant, she wrote a series of parodied Bible passages that broke her weekly hate mail record overnight. Back then, I was known as Dead at 50 and counted among Sugarcane's regular readers. During the first week of October 2006, I suggested she spend the night in the Daly family's haunted house and write about the experience for her Halloween article. She announced to her readers that I was a child and a moron. I added a $1,000 prize to the mix. She eagerly accepted. On the last week of October, Deborah announced she would make the hour-long drive to the Daly House for a spooky sleepover. She embarked on the evening of the 29th, encouraging her readers to stay tuned for the details of my $1,000 journey through the haunted Daly House. I had every intention of awarding her the money, and I never would have mentioned the Dailies if I'd known what would happen. Deborah always researched her subjects before or after her journeys, as she called the any experience she blogged about. Uh, stay tuned for the dirt on my journey through the latest Scorsese flick, and, you know, things like that. And if only to make her praise-slash-mockery of it all the more complete. In her apartment, the police found stacks of newspaper clippings about the Daly family as far back as 1960. Praise for Kevin Daly and the lives he saved as a firefighter. His marriage to sweetheart Naomi Welch in 1970. The birth of their son, Jeff, in 1971. Jeff's growing fame as an abstract artist at only 12 months of age. The rumors that Naomi deliberately dropped her son down the stairs and caused his borderline autism. And of course, the fruitless search for the bodies when the family vanished in 1982. The bulk of the articles were testimonies from neighbors and friends about the last they saw of the dailies. Kevin's co-workers described him as nervous, constantly on edge, like he was being followed by a lunatic and couldn't shake him. Naomi, normally known to greet her tavern's patrons with a bright smile and warm hello, seemed to have crawled into a shell and refused to come out. Jeff's performance at school dwindled, but the work he produced at art class was as detailed as ever, depicting macabre realms of twisted, abstract shapes and looming shadows, imagery he hadn't produced since he was a toddler. He claimed that the whisperers made him draw these things. His only explanation for a whisperer was, they follow me around my house. I can't see them, but I know they're there. And then one day, Jeff never showed up at school, and his parents never showed at work. They'd vanished into thin air, and according to their neighbors, they didn't go quietly. Other articles described strange but seemingly unremarkable sights and sounds on the abandoned daily property from 1989 to 2004. A few of these articles were so strange they were considered hoaxes or gross exaggerations. A neighbor's dog ran under the daily porch. When it returned, it spent the next two days whining, cowering, and howling miserably for no reason. One morning, the owners woke up and found the dog missing. It was never seen again. A young couple claimed a silhouette in the shadows of the front yard whispered something to them as they walked past the house late one night. They couldn't tell if it was someone there or not, and when they continued their walk, the shape stalked them for several blocks before vanishing altogether. Several mailmen gave identical accounts of hearing movement and gibbering voices inside the house while on their routes. One assumed it was the local pranksters and alerted the police. They never found anyone inside. And now... Well, the tape. Earlier this week, the city workers were preparing the house for demolition when they discovered the recorder under an old desk. Remembering the house's history of missing persons, they turned it over to the police. 
the officer who received it, a friend of mine whose name will go unmentioned, had at one time been a sugarcane fan. That's how I got to me, and I... I need to make sure people know. And what better way to know than to... Uh, to play the tape. Don't think I've ever been to this stupid side of town before. Had to stop at a diner and get corrections because I managed to get my stupid ass lost. Supposed to be an hour-long drive, but it'll be close to midnight by the time I find this dump. Oh, I told the lady I was coming to visit an old friend in the Daly's neighborhood, and she was happy to help me find my way. Imagine I won't be well-received if I go around telling everybody I'm spending the weekend breaking into other people's houses, even if the Daly's are too dead to give a shit. I feel silly going through with this. On the plus side, I'll get to pay my rent for the next month. It is now 11 p.m. on the dot. Took me forever to find this stupid house. Kept turning down the wrong streets. Hard to miss it once you find the right one. The front yard is a jungle of wiry vines, three-foot grass infested with species of insects never before seen by man. Can't even see the front door from the street this late at night because the shadows gulped it up. Parked two blocks away and walked. Gonna find a window to climb through. Hopefully I won't need to pick a back door because that'll take forever. More as it develops. Ow. Pitch black in here. Where's my damn... camp is set up in the... I guess this was an office. There's a dusty old desk next to the window. I just climbed in through and a bookcase to the right of the door. Both are bare. About to take my tour of the house. Camera ready, although this place isn't much to look at. Keeping the flash off, so the pics might be a bit tweaked when I get back. About to keep the flashlight off just to let my eyes adjust, but yeah, I'm not going to do that. is a really roomy two-story deal. Oh, there you are, you elusive stairs. The carpet's been all torn up except for one corner of the living room, so the floor's all crusty wooden boards. Goddamn spiders everywhere! 
ass in this place is murdering me. Second floor is rickety as hell. Here's hoping the building doesn't collapse on me at night. Floor previously pried up loose. I'll have to check that out tomorrow morning. <coughs> oh God, I can't breathe in this place. All right, time for bed. Finish up our notes tomorrow. Good night. something in here. Ah. Fucking rats. I knew I hear them scuttling in the living room walls. Should have brought a cot. Okay, well, I won't be sleeping tonight after all, so I'm prying that board up to pass the time. More as it develops. in my mind. I swear I heard. Gotcha! Uh, um, there's drawings. Wadded up drawings stuffed into this little space beneath the loose Jeff Daly's pictures. When he was five, he used to draw the bad dreams to... No. These can't be real. The detail is...
not funny. Stop it. Deborah posted an update the same night. There was no trace of her usual snide narrative, and she exchanged punchy one-liners for razor-edged curses. She wanted someone, me, to apologize to her for what she believed to be a perverse Halloween prank. She managed to keep one of the drawings she found under the loose floorboards and included a high-res scan of her rant, condemning it as an obvious attempt by a barely capable adult artist to reproduce the work of an eight-year-old retard. Drawn entirely in black crayon, it resembled a caricature of someone's living room, as done by Salvador Dali. At the center stood a dark shape with a grayish head, misshapen like a funhouse mirror, making it impossible to tell if it was supposed to be a human or not. The thing stared right at the viewer over its shoulder, with two empty black holes for eyes. Three more of the things stood beyond it, also staring at the viewer. It was as if the act of the drawing the scene had grabbed their attention. Although their faces were amorphous mushes of white and gray, the three in the background seemed to be smiling. And it really did suggest a level of artistic finesse beyond that of an eight-year-old boy, but the style matched Jeff Daly's other drawings. Deborah and I both got our share of hate mail after the blog. Half her readers thought I was an asshole for setting her up for such a nasty trick. The other half thought Deborah was pulling up a hammed-up Halloween prank of her own, when her next two updates erratically described how the sounds from the Daily House had followed her home, everyone became all the more certain of this. They still believed it was a joke when she failed to make a single update for two weeks afterward. On November 4th, in the middle of the afternoon, Deborah had called her sister, Peyton. She was blubbering so much Peyton couldn't understand a word she said at first. In Peyton's own words, she let loose of the heartbroken drunk routine, Said she was sorry for missing my wedding, sorry for always being a spiteful bitch when she, we were growing up, sorry for kicking our dog when she was 12, apologizing for all sorts of silly stuff like a desperate sinner at confession. She stopped to catch her breath, and I heard somebody else in the room with her talking quietly, like they didn't want me to hear. After she wanted me to come over, she started sobbing again and said, I hear daddy, but it isn't daddy. Then she hung up and I called the police. They didn't find anybody when they got there. I was talking to her only minutes before. Most folks still think Deborah's abduction by the whispering stalkers of Jeff Daly's nightmares is a hoax, orchestrated by Deborah or some other sick individual. The tape has been proven fake by one ignorant skeptic after another, and it won't be long before Sugarcane Junction fades into obscurity once again. I hope to prevent this, not because I feel pity for Deborah Lindsay Kane, though I really do pity her but because I hope to prevent others from vanishing like she vanished, like the city workers who found the tape vanished, and like my friend vanished. They mark their territory, like they mark the daily house and the tape, and they can smell anything that comes in contact with it. Once they smell you, they hunt you like bloodhounds until they've marked you too. They call to you softly like they're afraid to talk too loud. Sometimes two rooms away, 
sometimes right next to you. They imitate people you're closest to. Maybe they think it's funny, but you can't listen to them. You have to shut them out. Otherwise, you'll be too scared to open your eyes or move a muscle. You won't have a chance to kill yourself before they drag you to whatever unholy hell Deborah Lindsay Kane was taken to. I just hope... Oh god, I just hope it doesn't transfer through the web. The scent. I just want people to know, to understand... I have to go now. Go for good, maybe. My mother's been calling me for the last hour, even though she's been dead for five years. Whether you consider the events of our last story a conceivable factual account or a perplexing ruse, we hope you enjoy their dish for the night. Unfortunately, midnight fades away, and so must we. May gentle voices soothe you to sleep, dear guests. And until next we convene, pleasant dreams. <laughs> Midnight Marinara is a bi-monthly podcast written, produced, directed, and mixed by David King. This episode features the voice talents of David King, yep, that's me, and Caleb Barry. Whispers is based on the original short story by Mike McDee. You can read this and other works of his at deadendsolutions.wordpress.com. Comments? Suggestions? Ardent pleas for escape from the gigantic invisible mosquito you're sure is buzzing toward you even at this moment? Feel free to leave feedback wherever you listen to this. Or email us at midnightmarinera at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>